Good morning to be with you. I, uh, I just love, I'll just tell you, like, I'm just going to be real honest. I love Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I mean, I'd rather my team was playing in it, but I just love it. I love, I love the feel. I love the food. I love the food. And um, it's really, it's really, it's really cool. It's also really sad because then the next day there's no football for like several months. And so then that gets sad. That gets sad. So anyway, uh, and, and hey, if you're a fan of a team like mine, it's almost happier than you don't have to think about how bad your team is for a few more months. Uh, but anyway, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 9. That's where we're going to be camped out this morning. Now, it's impossible for me to say everything there is to say about a passage of Scripture on any given Sunday that I get up in front of everybody, okay? Uh, that is especially true this morning because as I was preparing the message, I thought, wow, there's so much to say. This could be like seven sermons. And so we're going to key in on a few things and we're going to maybe, you, you might have a favorite verse in here and I may not spend as much time on it, um, and, uh, but, but in, in order to get through the passage and get to the heart of what we're talking about, we're going to go through. So it is a little bit large, it's nine verses, and um, we're going to be going through that. But before we get started, I, I want to just say a couple of things to kind of lead us into what we're going to be reading and, and studying this morning. For those of us who've trusted Christ for salvation and follow him day by day, we find that there are some serious struggles in life, right? It's not a bowl of cherries and rainbows and unicorns, is it? Right? There is still difficult stuff of life to deal with every day. And in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to be addressing some of these difficult things that the church in Philippi was dealing with. Okay? It's possible, I, saw, I read in, in one, of, uh, one of the commentaries or, or one of the resources I was looking at, uh, that it's possible that this letter to Philippians was written in part uh, because Paul had heard about one of these issues going on and, and wanted to deal with it. I don't know if you know this or not. You may not, but I think you probably know this. Churches are not immune to these struggles. Did you know that? Churches are not immune to struggles. Churches are not immune to problems. Everyone that is a part of this church is a sinner. (laughs) We all have a sin nature that wars with the spirit. And we are bound to run into problems. We're bound to disagree on some things. When I was interviewing... Uh, when I was interviewing for this position as your pastor, I told the team, and they may, some of them may remember this, I told them, I said, look, if I come, you just need to know I'm not going anywhere. Like, if we have problems, we're going to work it out, because <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Okay? And I still feel that same way. But as a church, we're going to disagree on some things. Now, the way of the world is to do what? Well, I don't like it. We disagree. We don't do things. And so we turn... The world turns and runs away. Okay? I've been in enough churches over the years, and in, in, in 21 years plus of ministry, I've seen a few things. I feel like that farmer's uh, insurance guy, bum, 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 bum. We know a few things because we've seen a few things. I've seen a few things. Do you remember when you were a little kid? Because sometimes I feel like we, uh, we sometimes treat church like when we're a little kid and you're you're out playing i grew up in a great neighborhood i mean there was like 30 little kids in my neighborhood when i was little and we would play lava monster at night or we would play whatever hide and seek or whatever i think lava monster is just kind of a weird tag game okay that i think we made up but anyway um but here's what you'd be out playing with your friends you know you play a ball doing something and somebody gets mad over the rules right oh no that's not the way it works or a call or something And some poor little kid's like, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. And I've seen people in churches over the years that have acted like that. However, oh, I've acted like that too. And you probably have had a time in your life where you were like, yeah, 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 that's me, I, I acted like that. But those who belong to the kingdom of God are supposed to handle our lives and our struggles differently than the world. Do you get that? Like, we're supposed to live different than the world. Yeah, we face trouble, 
but, and, and, and trouble that can be difficult and seem insurmountable. But we're to handle that trouble as those submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And not, not the same as people who don't follow Jesus. A very real concern of mine as a pastor and as someone who's been a part of churches over the years, a very real concern of mine is people who claim to know Jesus but live like they've never heard of him. Part of this is just people giving into their fleshly desires. Like, okay, they're, they're, they're stuck in some sin. Some of it is that in many churches, there are people who've somehow become members of the churches, some even in leadership, but they're really unregenerate. That means they haven't been regenerated by the Spirit. It means they're not Christians, some of them. That means you have church members in some churches who, who don't really know Christ. They've been allowed into church, but they've not repented of their sin and, and trusted in the good news of Jesus, of Jesus' death in their place for their sins and being risen from the dead. See, when a sinner repents and trusts Jesus for salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and empower us for godly living. We still feel the fight of the flesh, but we have the power to be obedient to the Lord only by the power of the Lord. So that's some of why we see that. Sometimes we see people who claim Jesus, but they live, if you look at their whole life, they live, they didn't know him. And, and last week we talked about those, Paul you know, said with tears in his eyes, that there are those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So we talked about that. Today's message, however, is primarily not about those people. Today's message is about those who have already trusted in Christ. Okay? These are Christians we're talking about today. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if all that stuff I said about Jesus dying on the cross in your place for your sins and risen from the grave, you have no idea what I'm talking about, you want to know about that, what it really means to become a Christian, I would love to talk with you later about that. But for the majority of the message, Paul's, Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to a church in Philippi who he had a very close personal relationship with, who he loved deeply. And he's writing to them, and he's going to tell them about some, uh, dealing with some of the issues of life. So we're going to begin in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia, and I entreat Sancti, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, and there, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the message of the truth of the gospel. And God, I thank you that you don't just save us and leave us but that you save us and then you grow us. You sanctify us, you change us more into your image day by day, Jesus. Help us to see that played out in these pages, these verses, and in our lives. Help us trust you and take you at your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first thing you can see here, before we get, before we get even into like main point number one or any of that, I want you to see something in verse number one, I want you to look at it and you can see Paul's love and his longing for the Philippians. It's evident again in this verse when he says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for. Not only that, 
but he says, my joy and crown. Paul did not know. Understand this. Paul did not know of a way to just go to church and just go to church and then go home. Like, Paul didn't understand that. Paul understood that if you were going to be a part of a church, this was going to be a close, personal love relationship within the body of Christ. Okay, Paul wouldn't have dealt well with... So back where, um, where I come from, uh, there's a, a real big church. I'm not going to name it. And it's in West Des Moines. And they've got a bajillion campuses, okay? And there's like 15,000 people that go to this church. And I'm not exaggerating. I think it's like 15,000 people. It's the largest church of this particular denomination uh, in, in North America and I think in the world, okay? Um, and so, and it's a, it's a uh, mainline denomination, uh, and it's not Baptist, I'll tell you that. But anyway, so it's a big church, and they're really well known because they've got really great music, okay? I mean, I don't know if they actually have really great music. I don't know. I'm a little bit of a music snob. But they have music that people like a lot, and people want to go and hear their music. And they have these big Christmas programs and pageants and Easter programs and pageants. And they have guys come in and play special music and the, all this stuff and concerts and hoo-da, 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 right? All this stuff. I don't know what I just said, all right? Um, I don't know what hoo is. But anyway, they have all this stuff. I should have just gone blah, blah, blah. There we go. That's better. Uh, and, and they have all this stuff. And so people would leave the smaller churches in the area where they had to plug in, be involved. They had people who were like asking about them and connecting with them. And they wanted to go to this other church so they could just kind of go and enjoy the music and hang out. And no one knows them. They're just a number. No one wants to. Now, if you really get into those churches, you're not, you end up, if they're doing it right, you end up not being just a number because they have small groups and people that connect and all that stuff. But the point was, Paul wouldn't understand that. Right? Paul... Paul wouldn't, he wouldn't have a place for that because he had a close connection with these people. And he wasn't, I mean, it's not like he was with them for a long time, you know. He had been with them for a while. And he was gone and he he longed for them. Okay? He longed for them. But what's the first thing that he wants to tell them? He, He tells them, at least in this passage, obviously, this is a letter. So he has already told them a lot of stuff in this letter, okay? But he says, therefore, now, therefore, remember, what, in light of everything that came for, before it, so when he was talking about straining towards the goal and how we would be tra- our bodies would be transformed, therefore, what does Paul say? The first thing, he says, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. First thing we need to look at today is what it means when Paul says in the Lord. Now I know the first point is stand firm in the Lord, but I kept seeing that phrase in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. And I think, well, I know what this means, obviously, right? Because you you see that and you know what it means. But um, I was getting ready to, I was getting ready to uh, like start going from the point where, I don't want to get too in the weeds on how I prepare the sermon, but I got a piece of paper with the passage on it. And I've got it marked up, and I'm getting ready to go from that to typing up an outline and then typing my manuscript, okay, uh, and going from that. And so I got that paper, and I was like, you know what? That in the Lord thing, I need to look back at that again. So I look at it, boom, there it is. Oh, there it is again, there it is again. I found three times where it is. And anytime something's repeated three times in the Bible, it's pretty important. Like, you know, holy, 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 stuff like that, right? So I'm like, okay, so I get, the, I get out a pink highlighter. Highlight that thing, all right? And then there's another time where he basically says something very similar, but he words it a little bit differently. So I thought about, well, what does this mean to be in the Lord? Maybe I should look at this. So I get out my little language tools on the computer, and I I click and type and move around and read. The phrase, in the Lord, is a favorite phrase of Paul to use. He likes to use that one. And what it's referring to, is that intimate union and fellowship of the Christian with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this union gives us the basis for all Christian relationships and conduct. It's distinctive of the Christian life. and gives the life a specific character. 
Paul sometimes uses different versions of the same thing. I mentioned that earlier. He'll say, in the Lord, or he'll say, in Christ Jesus, or in Christ. means the same thing. John, when he's writing, uses a version of this as well. He'll say, talk about being in Christ or abiding in Christ. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says that this phrase denotes the motive, quality, or character of Christian duty or virtue as based on union with Christ. This is the ground of Christian unity. So when you're saying to do something in the Lord, it's basically saying doing something consistent with the Christian life. There should be this intimate union between Christian and Jesus and that everything in our Christian life flows out of that. So you could just say, well, yeah, it's being a Christian, but here's the problem is people today are really twisted up about what that actually means. So being in the Lord, this is to do the things that are, to, to, if you're doing something, you're standing firm in the Lord. Stand it firm as is consistent with the Christian life. Stand firm as is consistent with someone who has experienced perfect union with Jesus because of his sacrifice on the cross and resurrection. So Paul says to stand firm. Stand firm in your living the Christian life. Don't let all these other things, false teachers, cares of the world, don't let those distract you, but stand on the truth of that which you have learned and which has proven itself to have worth for sanctifying your life. Stand firm in your relationship with the Lord. And we have to be cultivating this relationship. To live in the Lord, to abide in Christ, we've got to be cultivating this relationship this means being in the Word of God. It means being in the Word. I, uh, I, digital Bibles are just fine with me. If you want to look at the Bible on your phone, your iPad, your computer, Kindle, whatever, okay? Uh, it's fine with me. No problem with that. I do that a lot. I do that a lot, especially when I'm studying for, for the sermon and stuff. But this week when I was at this conference, I bought a new Bible because I wanted a Bible... <laughs> I wanted a paper Bible that was small enough I could throw it in my bag and take it everywhere with me. And then when I'm at the coffee shop, have it out. Because some, sometimes, for me, sometimes the screens are just too much. Like, I just get overwhelmed with all the screens. I have. You've been in my office, I have a lot of screens, okay? And so sometimes, sometimes I just want to flop it open. So I got a Bible because here's why. Cultivating our relationship with Christ means we've got to be in the Word. We've got to be in the Word. Cultivating this relationship means being in the Word. It also means prayer. And it means being a regular, active member of a local gospel-centered church. And if you're looking for one, I know one. And we'd love to have you. If you're watching online, we'd love to have you join us. We've got to be cultivating that relationship so that we are standing firm in the Lord. So next, Paul turns his attention to two women, Euodia and Weird Name, who are quarreling, okay? It's Stinkti, Stinkti, I don't know, a terrible pronunciation on that word, okay? I heard a guy pronounce it this week, and I'm still terrible, all right? So these two ladies are quarreling, and Paul wants the church to encourage these two ladies to agree in the Lord. See why we talked about that first? Paul wants in verses 2 and 3, he wants the church to encourage these ladies to agree in the Lord. Not just, hey, we, we can get along now, it's okay. No, he wants them to agree in the Lord. There are three things in particular that I want to point out about this. Number one, they were Christians. These ladies were Christians. So, so like we, we can't do the thing of like, oh, well, they just need to get saved. Well, no, they were. They were Christians. And Paul says that these two Christian ladies have a conflict. Okay? So it is possible, hear me, it is possible that two Christian ladies or guys, okay? Two Christian ladies or guys, two, two Christians could have a quarrel, a conflict, a disagreement. You're like, no duh, pastor, we've seen that. 
Okay, some of y'all are in it now, maybe. I don't know. All right? Here's the question. And I want you to really think about your answer to this. You don't say it out loud, okay? But here's the, here's the question. Do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of the church? Do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of the church? You should, and so should I. We're all a threat to the unity of the local church. Because the moment that we stop living for the things of the Lord and we start to follow our own selfish desires, our own preferences, our own wants, what makes us happy and comfortable, and we put our desires above those of our neighbor or someone else, you may not think you're capable of being divisive. I may not think I'm capable of being divisive. But I'll bet Iodia and other gal didn't think of themselves as possibly being divisive either. Or a threat to unity. Like I feel really strongly about some things. I got some, I got some strong beliefs that I won't budge on. I've got some real strong opinions that I may be wrong on. Okay, I've got beliefs that I believe that I will stand on. I've got some opinions. I may be wrong on them. And they're generally on stuff that doesn't matter as much. Okay? I don't know what these gals were fighting over. It could have been something in the leadership. I mean, women had a prominent role. They, weren't, they were not pastors or anything like that. We don't, we don't do that. The Bible doesn't do that. Um, but they, they, there was something going on where they were having a disagreement. And we're not told what it is. So it's probably not important that we know specifically what it is. But we should see ourselves as, as a possible threat to unity. Because that will keep us clinging to the all-sufficient grace of Christ. Because if I walk away from my need, if I, if I get untethered from my need for God's grace every day, then I could be pretty selfish. Right? And, I, and the thing that gets me is I wouldn't think I was being selfish. I'd think I was just trying to do what was right because... In my mind, that's what I set on. Number two, so they were Christians. Number two, they were servants. This ought to cause us continued watch over our hearts and our lives. It says, they had labored with Paul in the gospel. The apostle Paul, friends, the guy that wrote a good portion of the New Testament guy that wrote what I am preaching to a church they'd worked and labored with him and they were still a threat to to being disunified because of their quarrel they labored with Paul they were servants so they were Christians they were servants and number three this is kind of where we're going to camp out for a minute they needed help they needed help Paul asks for what he calls his true companion to help them. They aren't figuring this out on their own. These ladies are just, they're at loggerheads, right? They can't figure this out on their own. Paul's heard about it, so it's been going for a bit, right? I mean, they didn't have email. This this letter didn't arrive by email. All right? This must have been a big enough deal that it probably wasn't over the color of the carpet. Okay? But Paul hears about this. They're not figuring it out on their own. And someone needs to step in and maintain unity in the church. You get that? They needed a moderator to come in and and help them figure out their quarrel. I kind of, I mean, in my imagination, this is not fact, okay? But in my imagination, I imagine when you're so deep in a conflict, like with some, maybe your wife, your, your husband, or maybe a friend, okay, and you're so deep in the conflict and trying to prove your own way is the right way or this, like that you can't see out and you, and, and you need someone to come in and set right the unity. Again, I don't know what their quarrel is, but this verse, this verse was brought up at this, so I was at this conference this week, right? 
Obviously, I didn't write the sermon until after the conference. But anyway, <laughs> I was at this conference this week, and this verse was brought up by a guy on stage. They were having a, a panel discussion about how we minister uh, in this era of COVID and, and, and moving into whatever is next. And uh, moving into this COVID and with some of the government mandates and the things that have been, have been uh, talking points for pe- arguing points for people, right, that have caused much division amongst those in the world and even some in the church. And this verse actually was brought up. Guy quoted this verse um, when uh, they were discussing varying responses to COVID by churches and, and responses to the government and the arguments that have happened among Christians. So Paul wants a godly individual to help these two dear women figure out their differences. But notice the focus on maintaining unity. If you let this go, it damages the church. So here's the question for you. When you're in that situation, will you commit now, before you're in that situation, or if you're in the situation now, will you commit to ask for help? Will you ask for help? It's one of the hardest things we do in life, right? Is ask someone to help us. Right? One of the first signs we taught our boys, so we taught our boys sign language when they were little because they couldn't talk, and we didn't want them to just stand there and cry, okay? There was one of them that that he sounded like a goat, okay? And, And it was super annoying, all right? So we taught the boys how to do sign language so they would help. Like, they would, if they needed help, they would say help. And the sign for help, you guys remember? They don't remember. Yeah, yeah. The sign for help is this, but they did this. This was our sign. We did modified sign language in the Callison house, all right? This was help. So uh, they would stand at the fridge and need, uh, want milk and help, right? Or the box of Cheerios or what, whatever it was, right? Or they would drop something on their foot, help, okay? Asking for help is difficult. It's difficult. I don't know how many times I've been so far buried under stuff that I've got to do, and I realized I, I could have asked someone for help. But there was something, I don't know, I was too prideful or I was too, like, nose to the grindstone or whatever. There have been times here where I've been like, I, I have a bunch of stuff to do. I'd be like, I just need to ask a couple of the deacons to help me with this. But for some reason, it's hard for us. So when you get into this situation, will you ask for help? Number two, are you prepared to give help? Are, are you prepared? <coughs> excuse me. Are you prepared to step into an awkward conversation? I, I have a lot. <laughs> Some of you are like, I know where you're going with this, Pastor. I have a lot of awkward conversations. <laughs> Most of my life is just awkward conversations because I'm super awkward. But um, are you prepared to step into someone's mess? Because if you're going to be a unified church, if we're going to be a church that helps people sort out their issues, it's going to get messy. You're going to get messy. So are you prepared to step in and give help? Are you prepared for an awkward conversation? Paul encourages unity, and, and actually it's one of the themes of this whole letter of Philippians. But in dealing with this disagreement in a letter to the whole church... Because he wrote this, he didn't write this letter to those two ladies. He wrote this in a letter to the whole church. Do you see that? And in doing so, in writing this letter to the whole church, he's also showing the need for holding each other accountable. And Tony uh, Marita rightly states that it requires grace-filled humility. It requires grace-filled humility to get help, to, to ask for help but also to accept help when it's offered. But also, it takes grace-filled humility to step in when help is needed, even if it's not asked for. Sometimes the unity of the church is, well, it's always precious enough, but sometimes there's a quarrel going on and you need to step in and help even though they don't realize they need to ask for help. 
It doesn't seem like they knew that they needed help, these two ladies. But Paul was saying, please help them. It wasn't a, please, this was redemptive. This wasn't like, you need to sort those two ladies out. This wasn't that. This wasn't that. This was, please, they were my co-laborers. They were servants. Like, they love Jesus. Please help them. Help them love one another. Help them be unified. We don't want the church to suffer division because two people can't get it together. And yes, there's 100% a place for church discipline. Absolutely, we, we do that at this church. And there's a place for that. But that's not what he's talking about here, specifically. He's talking about stepping in and helping them with their quarrel. Whose responsible is it for the church to be unified? It's our responsibility to be unified. It's our responsibility to be unified. Now, there are obviously those of us who have are, are uh, yeah, the offices of the church that can you know, step into those things as well. But it's actually every church member's responsibility to have unity with the other members. Not uniformity, okay, but unity, unity. As we come down to the third main point I want to make this morning, in verses 4 through 7, Paul gives the Philippians and us some help with moving forward, with living our lives forward. The question is, how do you live actively in the Lord, right? How do you live actively as, as a believer? Like, what do you do? Like, he wants to give us some help in that. In verses 4 uh, through, eh, really verse 7. I gotta say verses 4, I think on the screen I probably say verses 4 through seven or through 5, but it's four, really verses 4 through 7. How do you live forward? Well, by the word of the Lord. But what does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, And then he says it again. (laughs) So rejoice. I feel like he might mean this. I feel like this might be important. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then he says it again. Rejoice. Be happy and satisfied in your relationship with the Lord. Whatever's going on out here, rejoice that you are in the Lord. Rejoice and be satisfied in your relationship with the Lord. He moves on in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, I want to point out something. If you look, uh, there is a period before the Lord is at hand. So this is another one of those places where um, in our English Bibles, uh, they've added chapters and verses. And sometimes the verse picks up partway through a sentence. And sometimes you can figure out why, and sometimes you're like, I don't know why they did that there, okay? But let your reasonableness be known. So I got to thinking, I mean, I think I know what reasonableness is. I think I'm mostly reasonable most of the time. Sometimes maybe not, especially when it comes to sports, all right? Or Star Wars. But anyway, be reasonable. I looked up carries the idea here of gentleness, kind, tolerant, reasonableness, being gentle and kind and tolerant to be reasonable. But then he says, the Lord is at hand. Now, now here's the thing there. It says the Lord is at hand, but then verse 6 continues that the Lord is at hand, comma, and then verse 6 starts, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we're supposed to be rejoicing in the Lord twice as much, (laughs) I guess. And then let our reasonableness be known. I would say especially if you're If you're sorting out a conflict between two people, gentleness, kindness, tolerance for their whatever, right? 
This isn't me being tolerant of sin. That's not what we're talking about, okay? But then he says, the Lord is at hand. So pray. Don't worry, but pray. Because he's at hand. The Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious about anything, but pray. God is at hand. He is near. If you're in the Lord, he is near. He is here. So don't worry about things, but pray. Uh, Anxiety does bad things to you. I don't know if you know that or not. We got a little bit of an anxiety problem in our culture. Anxiety does bad things for you. First of all, it's a joy killer. Anxiety will zap every last ounce of joy out of you. Anxiety, too much anxiety will cause you to, I mean, it'll cause you almost to forget you're saved. I mean, it will, it will zap every last bit of joy. But what did Paul just say before that? Rejoice. And don't be anxious. Because anxious, anxiety doesn't do any good thing for you. It doesn't earn you anything. Anxiety makes you self-absorbed. If I worry all the time, and guys, I've spent a lot of my life as a worrier, Okay, If I worry all the time, why am I worried? I'm focusing more on myself, what's going to happen to me, what's going to be the, the effect on me. I'm, I'm, if I'm worried about someone else, well, then I'm worried about sometimes how whatever happens to them will affect me. Instead, Pray. If you're consumed with worry, then you're not going to serve others wholeheartedly. It's nearly impossible to serve others with your whole heart if you're consumed by worry and anxiety. Also, worry, anxiety distracts from mission. So don't let worry distract you from mission. Instead, pray. See, when we worry, you know, the Bible talks about worry is, is borrowing tomorrow's trouble, right? Like, like, when we worry, it takes us off of our mission because we're worried about all the other things that will happen. Whether we're worried about money or whether we're worried about how people are going to react to us. Or we're worried about what's going to happen when I try to talk to this person about Jesus. or when I, Whatever it is, when we worry about that stuff, we become self-absorbed and it takes us off of our mission. Churches can get consumed with worry as well, by the way, and taken off a mission because they're so worried about whatever. Making ends meet. We need to make ends meet, okay? I'm going to preach a few weeks on stewardship when we're done with Philippians, okay? So, but, but it would be easy for churches to get consumed with worry about that or their marketing or their reputation and nudge off the center of mission. Don't let worry distract you from mission. Instead, pray. In uh, 480 B.C., there's an outmanned army of Spartans led by this guy named King Leonidas. You may have heard of him. You may have seen a movie with him, maybe. King Leonidas held off the Persian army of Xerxes by fighting them one at a time as they came through this narrow mountain pass. Like, specifically, takes his 300 warriors, goes up to this narrow mountain pass, and as Xerxes has this like million-man army, as he comes through, they're cutting them down one at a time. Commenting on this strategy, C.H. Spurgeon, my preaching hero, said this, Suppose Leonidas and his handful of men had gone out into the wide open plain and attacked the Persians. Why, they would have all died at once, even though they might have fought like lions. Spurgeon continued by saying that Christians stand in the narrow pass of today. If they choose to battle every difficulty at once, you're sure to suffer defeat, but if they trust God and take their troubles one by one, they will find that their strength is sufficient. See, when we worry, it's because we're worried and we're letting all this stuff pile on instead of dealing with what's in front of us today. Worry is pointless. I say that as a worrier. Worry is pointless. You can't change anything by worry. Okay? 
It's like a bowler after he throws the ball. Anybody bowl in here? Anybody bowl? Bowlers? I've bowled, okay? I've bowled, all right? Um, anybody wee bowling? Wee bowling, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, so I've bowled. I like bowling, okay? We also, in our family, we play uh, bocce ball a lot in the, in the warmer months out in the yard, which is like lawn bowling, okay? You ever see a guy bowl like these guys on TV? They'll throw the ball, and then what are they doing? They're doing this, or they're doing that, or they're trying to guide it over, whatever. That's worry, because whatever they're doing now can't affect where that ball is going to end up at. Worries like that. You can't change anything by worrying. Psalm 127.2 says this. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You know what I take out of that? Trust God and go to sleep. Trust God and go to sleep. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. I trust you, Lord. I got all this stuff. I can't do anything about it. I trust you with it. Good night. (laughs) And the result of your prayer, what's the result? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is the result. Guards our hearts and our minds. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He was the founder of what is known today as Overseas Missionary Fellowship. He gave this excellent advice. He said, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hand. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. If you've given it all to him, there's nothing left for you to worry about. The peace of God surpasses all understanding. Why is that extraordinary? Well, that's extraordinary because it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's having peace when it makes sense that you shouldn't have peace. I looked for these stories because I hear these stories all the time. I don't have a specific one of these stories of people who have gone through uh, just immense tragedy, hardship. Ladies sitting in the waiting room waiting for their husband's brain tumor to be taken out. Uh, uh, people in prison concentration camps and things like that. People who have all this stuff happen. People who are kidnapped and, and, and that know Jesus and they say, I couldn't explain it, but the peace of God came over me. Even though like they know what's going to happen, they're probably going to die. And yet they had a peace that doesn't make sense because it passes all understanding. And that's what happens when we rejoice in the Lord and we, we, we give him all of our cares, all of our worries. And we don't try to take them back. And when we try, we're like, oh, I'm a worry. Then we continually give it to him. And he gives us that peace. Not that what we want to happen is going to happen. But he's going to walk with it, with us through it. And that peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because our mind is where we worry a lot, right? But that peace will guard us. Verse 8, he talks about what we should think about. And I'm going to buzz through here real quick, okay? He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I used to tell my students when I was a youth pastor to use this verse as a filter for what kinds of entertainment they allowed into their lives. The, like music they listen to. Like, I would not tell them, I would not tell my students only listen to Christian music. I wouldn't do that, okay? Um, but I would tell them to use this verse as a filter for what kinds of things they let in. It's like, ask yourself, is it honoring to the Lord? But what Paul is doing here, is he's telling the Philippians what to focus on, what to focus their mind on. So we have the peace of Christ, and it's, Protecting our hearts and our minds. What are we supposed to be thinking on? Well, what is true? I mean, I'm not going to explain that one a whole lot, but true. The things that are true, 
not the things that are not true or that we don't know what's going to happen. Number two, what's honorable? Is it worthy of respect? Is it dignified? Those, we should be putting those things in our brains, the things that are worthy of respect, that are dignified. Three, that are righteous, or excuse me, just, meaning righteous, right? Things that are just, things that are righteous, things that are right with God. Number four, pure. Things that are innocent, things that are holy, set apart for God. Number five, lovely, pleasing, and agreeable. Something lovely, is it pleasing? Is it agreeable? Like, there, there's a point to be made, actually, that there are some things that are out there, and I would use this, again, when I was talking to students, I would say, you know, there may be some music that is true and honorable, um, but it's not very good. <laughs> it's not very lovely, right? And so I don't think you have to subject yourself to that. Is it commendable? Is it excellent? And excellence, when I see excellence, I, I don't, I'm not talking like Bill and Ted, right? Excellent, you know. I'm talking about excellence of character. And he says, anything worthy of praise. See, our minds often try to go any other place than these places. The peace of God will guard both our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And when we're not anxious but filled with the peace of God and satisfied in our relationship with him, these are the things we want to think on. These are where we want to send our minds to these things. But lastly, we come to verse 9 where Paul again turns to this idea of imitation, which we know is a theme, one of his themes here in Philippians. And he tells them to imitate that which they had learned which they had received, which they had heard, and that they had seen in him. And we talked about this a lot in previous weeks. You can go back and listen to it if you missed that, those sermons. But that which they'd learned from him, the things he'd taught, that they'd received the things that, the, the truth of the gospel that brought them salvation, that they had received those things, the things they'd heard him teach, and the things that they'd seen in him, not just that he said, but that they saw exemplified in his life. Because they saw him living in the Lord. And he says, follow that example. So follow the godly example that we have of those who are living their lives in the Lord. That doesn't mean they're perfect, remember, but it means they're willing to repent. There was a quote I read, I read this week. Somebody said that, um, I think it was Tim Keller that said it, that uh, uh, the best Christians are those the quickest to repent. <laughs> not that we think we're perfect, it's that we know for sure we're not. And we run to Jesus for the help. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up uh, as we get ready to, to move into our final song in just a minute. But uh, let me say a couple of things. One, if you are a Christ follower, you have power for living the Christian life day in and day out. God has not left us on our own, but he's provided us with his Holy Spirit and his word to show us what it looks like to live every day as a follower of Christ, to live every day in the Lord. And he provides us the power to live out those commands by the Holy Spirit. If you try to do any of this on your own, it's not going to work very well for very long. And some of y'all know because you tried. You're like, yep, pastor, you're right, I tried that. You may think, you may think you're the biggest sinner around. And I want to tell you, though, that no matter how big of a sinner you are, Christ is still a bigger Savior. You're not too far from the grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel. If you're a Christian and you've been battling the sin nature, you feel like you're constantly maybe losing the battle, I want to ask you, I want to ask you if you're fighting in your own power or if you're fighting in the power of God by the Spirit. Are you trusting Jesus with your every step? Again, the secret is not perfection. It's running back to the Lord Jesus every day. Would you stand up with me? We're going to pray, and then we'll sing a final song together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we, uh, 
As we come to this time of, of uh, really of decision, I, God, I'm, I'm afraid sometimes we go and we're like, oh, it's closing song, then we go eat. And God, I, don't let us leave that quickly, but hold us in a place of decision, Father, where we've heard from your word, we've heard what you want for us and from us, and I pray that we would take this time and consider where we're at in that journey with you, Jesus. And that we would make a decision to take you at your word and follow you. God, I I don't know what everybody's dealing with. Some people may be dealing with a quarrel that they need help with. God, give them the the, the strength to seek out help for that. God, some people may be out there. They may not even know you, Jesus. They may never have become a Christian. I pray that you would give them boldness to reach out and ask for help to understand the gospel. God, maybe uh, they're out there and they've never followed you in believer's baptism. I pray that you would show them in your word uh, how we need to do that as followers of you, Jesus. God, maybe there are those out there and maybe they felt a call to uh, some kind of, of ministry or mission. God, I pray they'd reach out to someone who can help them sort that out, Father. Help us as a church to minister to one another and to the needs out in our community as well. But right now, speak to our hearts. Move us in your direction and help us to be quick to answer and to obey. In Jesus' name I pray.